if you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. Back in 2017, I was asked to house sit for a friend while they were out of state for about a week. They lived about an hour away, and thankfully I was already working a hybrid job, and I just had to go to the office twice that week. So, I just planned to stay at their place while they were out. They also offered it to me, knowing that driving there daily could add up, so I agreed. I got myself a small vacation, in a way, even though I still had to work. I had actually met Chuck from work, and him and his wife Grace are very kind and generous people. The house they lived in was also very nice, and is in a great neighborhood too. They're both in their late 50s and had two grown children, so it was just them living there which meant that their place was always immaculate, without a single thing out of place. They had a large fish tank in their living room, and two cockatiels, which was part of the reason they wanted me there. Anyways, sorry for rambling, I just wanted to include some information about them as well, as where I would be staying for some relevance. I got there the day they were leaving, so Chuck could give me the keys and Grace gave me a small list of things to check on for them, or to just watch out for, and then they left. Once they were gone, I checked out the birds and the fish, and then got my laptop out to work some that day in their living room as I watched TV. The first day went as normal as one would expect when you're house-sitting, the second day as well. The third day I had to go into the office, so... On my way back from work, I picked up some groceries so I could make some simple meals at home and not eat all of their food or takeout. When I got back that night, that's when I started noticing a few things that were off. When I went to put my stuff in the fridge, I noticed the milk was towards the front of the fridge. It was whole milk and I didn't like drinking whole milk, so I just remembered pushing it back some when I pulled something else out. I also noticed a bowl and a spoon in the sink that I had used that morning when I made oatmeal. However, I had washed it, and I put it in the strainer before I left, not wanting to leave a mess in someone else's home. But as I started thinking about things more, and realizing that I had forgotten to grab something from work, I finally just chalked it up to me thinking that I washed it, and I didn't. And, maybe I moved the milk when I was looking for something else. I was already tired, so I just made something quick to eat and settled on the couch for a few hours before I went to bed. As I laid there scrolling through my phone, I started hearing some shuffling sounds. It almost sounded like someone slowly walking against a wall, or maybe I should say crawling along the floor because it sounded like it was coming from above me. I was pretty tired at that point, but my first thought was maybe they had a mouse in the wall or 
possibly in the attic? Their home was far from cluttered, like I mentioned, and probably more on the minimalistic side of things, so I assumed they probably didn't use their attic for storage, or have much reason to go up there. It is entirely possible that they got in somehow and they never noticed, until someone was there for hours at a time. I again told myself not to forget so that I could let them know, and then let myself drift off for the night. I continued to experience that weird shuffling sound, as well as a slight creaking that I chalked up to the house settling. It was an older house, so it was entirely possible. I didn't really want to bother them on their trip, so I thought maybe I would just try to find the entrance to the attic, so that way I could at least confirm my suspicion. Then, I could message them after and offer to go get some traps or whatever he would prefer so that he wouldn't have to deal with it right after returning from his vacation. That was on Thursday night, and I knew they were going to be returning on either Saturday or Sunday, so it wasn't going to be much longer anyways. Friday, I had to go into the office again, and it was a stressful day. A few things went wrong, and everyone seemed to be in a bad mood or on edge, so by the time I left, I wanted to treat myself for the crazy day that I'd had. I picked up a case of beer and ordered a pizza that would end up getting there at the same time I did. I enjoyed my dinner and drinks, and was pretty well buzzed by the end of it. I'm honestly a lightweight. So, instead of checking on the attic and contacting Chuck... I ended up passing out pretty hard on the couch that night. The TV had a timer on it, so it turned off, creating a very comfortable and dark and quiet room. And if the next events hadn't occurred, I probably would have stayed like that all night. I must have been in that state between being asleep and awake when I heard a sound so subtle but so out of place. It sounded like soft scraping, almost like the sound when you pull back the seal on a yogurt container, or something similar with a sealed layer. Sorry if that sounds confusing. Anyways, this caused me to fully open my eyes as I laid there as quietly as possible, trying to grasp what I was hearing. When the noises continued with the sounds of drawers being slowly opened, followed by subtle scraping sounds, I knew that what I was hearing was real, and I was going to have to confront it. It was clear that there was somebody in here with me. The sound was coming from the kitchen, which was on the other side of the wall. I didn't have a weapon on me, so I tried to slowly look around the dark room for anything I could use that looked intimidating. That's when I spotted the slight silhouette of the candle holder on the coffee table. It was a thin and long tube, basically that came off the base, so I slowly and quietly pulled it off and pulled out the candle. Once armed, I stood up and peeked my head around the wall to see if I could get an idea of who I was dealing with, seeing if I even had a chance, or if I should just run. Seeing the guy hunched over the counter with his back towards me, I could tell that I wouldn't have a hard time if I had to subdue him. I slowly stepped towards him, 
being as light on my feet as I could. And when I was close enough, I shoved the candle holder into his back, hoping that they wouldn't be able to distinguish that it wasn't a firearm, and I mustered up my most intimidating voice to say, Don't move. The guy jumped, and I could immediately hear his breath become shaky. I asked him why he was there, and he told me as his voice wavered. I didn't know anyone was here. I'm Terry. This is my parents' home. Please don't shoot me. At least I knew the candle holder did what I wanted it to. I told him to slowly back up and get face down on the ground, and I put the holder in my back pocket before he could see it. As he got to the ground, he kept pleading with me not to hurt him and begging me to call his parents, and that they would be able to confirm everything. I quickly grabbed my phone from the coffee table, and I must have put quite the scare in him because he didn't even try to get up. I quickly dialed Chuck's number and told him what was happening, feeling bad for calling him so late. His tone quickly changed when I mentioned the name Terry. He asked me to describe what the guy looked like, and as I did, the guy called out from the floor, "'It's me, Dad!' I could hear Grace in the background, and Chuck said that that was his son, and then asked to talk to him. I told him he could get up, and he sat at the kitchen table as he spoke to Chuck on my phone. Only hearing one side of the conversation, I could at least piece some things together. He mentioned a spare key, and the attic, and after a few pleas, Terry looked pretty defeated as he handed me the phone back and apologized for scaring me. He slowly walked off towards the back, and I finished my conversation with Chuck. He apologized for his son, and asked that I not call the cops, but to give him an hour or so to get his stuff, and that he would be leaving, but then mentioned to make sure I got the key from him before he does leave. I told him it was no problem, that he could stay there if he needed to, but Chuck was adamant that he needed to go. It was his place and his son's, so I had no right to say otherwise. I told him I would make sure it all happened, and we hung up. Shortly after, Terry came back into the living room, and I was now sitting on the couch, groggy with the lights on. He gave me the key and once again apologized for scaring me as he thought that I wasn't home, or was at least in the spare bedroom. He admitted that he had been using the key to come and go when they weren't home, and that he helped himself to the food. He didn't go into detail, but he did say that he messed up, and that he'd been staying in the attic without their permission. I shook his hand, told him no hard feelings, and then told him he could take the yogurt that he had already started eating, and another one if he wanted. And he laughed and then thanked me for them, and then he left. After calling Chuck to let him know he was gone, I fell back asleep, this time in the spare bedroom. When Chuck and Grace returned, Chuck explained to me how Terry had gotten into some pretty bad stuff, and they let him move back in while he got back on his feet. Instead, he stole from them and other things, so they had to kick him out. Apparently, Terry had made a copy of his key before giving it back to Chuck, 
and he'd been sneaking back in while sleeping in the attic. He said that he has since gotten professional help, and is doing much better, but man, that was a crazy week for me. I went from thinking I was going to have to break it to my friend that they may have mice in their walls, to actually dealing with an intruder, only to find out that he was harmless and actually my friend's kid. He didn't really talk about his kids much, so I didn't even know what he looked like. I guess I was relieved that he wasn't just a stranger there with malicious intent, but at that moment, I was still pretty terrified, even if I didn't show it. I'm sure I could say the same for Terry, too. I haven't had to stay overnight to house-sit somewhere since, but when I do just have to check on the house, I kind of do a once-over, just to make sure that I am indeed alone. In the fall of 2017, I had just started a new job that required me to commute about an hour there and back. It was a decent job, and the drive didn't really bother me that much, even though two hours on the road a day can be a bit tiring. I've always enjoyed driving. It gives me time to think about things, listen to some new music or podcasts, just spend some time with myself and all that. My daily route consisted mainly of a long stretch on a state highway, not an interstate or anything, just a two-lane stretch for a while. It was pretty straightforward in the morning, but in the evenings, it was a completely different story. If I left too late, the highway would be dark, poorly lit, and oftentimes empty. It was just me and the road. Peaceful, sure, but also kind of creepy. One Friday night, I had to stay late at the office to get some stuff done before taking a few days off. So, I was there pretty late. It was a long week already, and I was ready to crash and just take a few days to myself. The highway was unusually deserted, like straight-up ghost town vibes. I looked at the clock and it read 10.17pm, which was way later than I thought it was. My car's headlights were pretty much the only source of light cutting through the dark highway ahead. Now, I don't scare easily, but I've seen enough horror movies that start on empty roads at night to feel that chill up my spine. About halfway through the drive, I was just cruising at speed, enjoying the cool air and belting out some of the tunes, when my eye caught something. It was one of those, oh hell, is there something in the road, and do I need to swerve to miss it kind of moments, which quickly turned into, that's a car sitting across two lanes with its lights off, and if I don't swerve, I'm going to hit it. When that clicked, I immediately shifted over to the left lane to not hit the car. As I got closer to the car, I started thinking about how weird it was that there was just a car sitting on the highway like that. 
I mean, cars break down sometimes, sure, but people will normally do anything they can to not have their car sitting in the lanes like that in the middle of the night. And while that was weird, it got weirder. As I passed it, I glanced over to see if there was someone in the car, and there was. So this guy was sitting in his car with the headlights off, blocking two lanes. As I passed it and made eye contact with the driver, I could feel the tension in the air, which only grew when I saw the headlights click on, and then watched the car pull out onto the road behind me. My gut was screaming that this was not a good situation. A car blocking the road in the dark turns on its headlights and decides to chase you after you pass. It really makes for one hell of a night. My heart was pounding, the hair on my arms was standing up. I pressed down on the accelerator and kept my eyes on the road, thinking that I was just being paranoid. There was no way this guy was actually following me, right? This was just a coincidence, surely. I decided to test this theory, and I took the next exit, but I stayed in the straight lane so that I could get right back on the highway. Surely if he wasn't following me, even if he did take the same exit, there was no way that he would be getting back on the highway like that. I got to the right to exit, got to the light, and kept going straight, immediately getting back on the highway. And, much to my horror, he did the same thing. At this point, I was certain that this guy was tailing me, and for what, I really didn't know. Suddenly, it hit me. There was a service exit coming up, one that led to a series of complicated back roads. If I took it, maybe I could lose him. With seconds to spare, I swerved to that exit. My tires screeched, and I almost lost control of my car. I looked back, and I saw him swerving quickly as well. But by doing this, I actually gave myself a little bit of distance. The back roads were even darker than the highway, lined with dense woods and absolutely no streetlights. I took the turns way sharper than I should have, went way faster through the forest-lined streets, and after a while, I knew that I'd gotten enough distance to actually get away. I turned off my headlights, took one last turn into someone's gravel driveway, and did a U-turn on their property. Which, sorry, I don't think I did any damage, but if I did, I apologize to that person. I just sat there, holding my breath, and waiting for the car to pass. And, like clockwork, it did. I watched as it kept going past the driveway where I was hiding. I waited for a few more minutes just to make sure he didn't come back, but I also didn't want to freak out the person that owned the driveway where I was hiding. As soon as I was certain that I was good, I pulled out and went back the way that I had come from. The rest of the way home, I kept my eyes half on the road, half on my rearview mirror to see if he ever showed up again. I was rigid thinking that at any second he was going to randomly pop back up behind me, which thankfully never happened. When I got into my driveway, I bolted out of my car and into the front door, 
only really feeling that sense of safety and relief when it was shut and locked. In the end, I feel like this was some sort of trap. They were blocking the road to get the person to slow down or stop, and then they would do god knows what. But then, when I didn't slow down or stop, the guy gave chase. It bothers me that he didn't care that I knew he was following me, because that meant that he didn't think he was going to lose me. But thankfully, I somehow weaseled my way out of the situation. I wanted to call the police by this point. I really didn't know what to tell them, though. Just say that some weird guy followed me for a while on the road, but that I lost him. I felt like if I had called them, there wouldn't have been much they could do, so I didn't. Call me stupid, I guess. I don't care. Now, whenever I have to drive home at night, I'm super vigilant and watch everything like a hawk. I also never leave that late. I don't care how much work I have left to do. And, thankfully, I haven't encountered anything else like that on the ride home. Okay, so, hi, my name's Leia, and this story is about the store that I've worked at for the past three years, and over time, I've learned a lot of things about the background, plus things happening to me and other co-workers. Everyone's name will be kept out of this as well as the store's name for privacy. For starters, the building is about 40 years old. It's been two different stores over that time. The man that built this building had a son with some mental issues, and had passed, but apparently used to stay here as a place to live. Myself and my coworkers in our back room have kind of snooped around, I guess, and we found multiple rooms on top of our meat department that, as far as we know, none of the workers know what they lead to, or what's in them, nor how to get to them. We also found a room with old meat grinders in it, which, okay, that's normal, but in the top of that room is a crawl space that leads to a room with a chair, a hole in the wall that, to me, would act as where an AC would go, and old labeled alcohol. But that doesn't explain the other five rooms that we can see across the top. The owner now, plus management, didn't know they were there, and they refused to acknowledge nor look at them, which is weird in itself. Basically, what's bringing all this to a head is that here lately, the more we've been finding, the more the store is feeling like we aren't as comfortable as we have been. The past few weeks, we've been getting more and more activity and feelings of anxiety. Of course, we always have the little noises of things settling in the store, but personally, things I've heard cannot be passed as that. It's always when we close and all get into the office to talk or calm down. I've heard our meat machines give the first startup sound, sounding like cooler doors are closing, bags falling off of shelves, and checking but nothing being there. Coworkers have explained that being in the back room alone, they feel something staring at them, from where the unknown rooms are. 
we all see things out of the corner of our eyes and pass it off, until sooner or later we share that we've had this feeling or happening. Tonight was a good night the whole time we were open. As soon as we close, one of us had to finish mopping, so we were all waiting around and messing around as well. I love my coworkers personally, so I thought it would be funny to scare the coworker that was mopping. I did the first time pretty good. The others wanted me to try again a different way, and I made it about halfway to where I was hiding and watching him for a little bit. I watched this poor boy walk to our back room doors, look into the dark window, stare for a little, and jump back. He proceeded mopping away from the doors on the side of our dairy cooler. A box of muffins fell off the complete opposite side of our aisle, and again this poor boy just said, What the hell? Now, I was going to scare him, but that scared me enough to leave it alone. He gets finished, and one of our other co-workers reminded that we needed to get his drinks from the back room's cooler. He refused to go back there with us. We didn't think anything of it, as he has autism, and we have a very big understanding. He does not like to go to the produce section with the lights off, which is completely understandable. You have to walk through it to get to our back room, so me and my manager friend for that night went back there to get them for him. We went back there, phone flashlight shining, I get in the cooler and grab his drinks, and we're about to leave, laughing, playing around. Earlier today I found a service bell around in our back room. I didn't think much of it. We have like four of them. I'd sat it by our meat department, and me and the manager both hear the bell going off. I personally am a very get-out-panic-later person, so all I did was look at her wide eyes and asked if that was for real. She wouldn't speak, but had the same look, so I knew that everything was wrong. We heard the bell a second time, and then right after that, our pallet jack, if you have too much weight on it, makes a popping noise over and over. That's exactly what we heard. But to me, there was no way that someone could get those back to back, and if they did, they were currently sprinting toward us, so I panicked and ran out the manager following on my heels. I genuinely cannot decide if all of this was paranormal, or if some things have actually just been hiding overnight in the store. Everyone but the head manager has admitted to feeling weird or having something happen. We just can't figure out why or what is happening, or which realm to blame it on. So if any of you have any ideas of what this could be, or what we should try to feel more comfortable, please let me know. And thank you for reading my story. I love your work so much. Thank you. I like to take nightly drives. It helps me clear the BS of the day. Just looking at the passing trees shortly illuminated by the passing of my headlights. I like to look into the darkness ahead and just let my mind disappear. A lot of the time I put on a set of spooky YouTube stories, like yours, 
or a podcast to keep my brain going. I've done this every other night after work for the last four years, in two different towns and three different houses, and not one time have I had a single encounter like the one that I'm about to share. I got out of work particularly late that night. Normally I would leave at 6, but I ended up leaving at 8.30 due to some unforeseen work issues. I debated whether or not I should take my night drive like I was planning, or just go home. I usually only drove for about an hour, so I wasn't used to driving at around 9pm. But after some thinking, over the previous 11 hours of work, I realized that I really, really needed some time to just let out all of the garbage that I'd packed into my brain that day. To just let it out into the dark. So, I set out from my job and went straight into what I like to call no-brain mode, where I, aside from the obvious paying attention to people and the roads, just shut off my brain and look into the darkness and trees. It's weird to most, but therapeutic as hell for me. As I was driving, I became increasingly aware of a set of headlights behind me, not unusual, only problem was, the car had their brights on, so it was blasting searing light into my eyes by bouncing off of my rearview mirror. It was impossible to see anything else, the lights were so bright that they were lighting up the road in front of my car. I decided I would pull over when I saw a good spot so that I could let the guy pass. A few minutes down the road, I see a local gas station on the right, and I pull in. I pulled up to the first parking spot, and I went inside to grab a snack. As I was paying for my Doritos, I look over out of the gas station window to see some guy looking and peeking inside of my driver's side window. I quickly finished paying and sprinted out of the store, but when I got near my car, there was nobody there. Realizing I must have just been seeing stuff because it was so dark, I sat there for a moment to catch my breath, unlocked my car, and got in. I pulled out of the parking lot, and just as I was turning right, I saw a car in the parking lot. There were two, actually. One I presumed to be the night shift worker in the gas station's car, but there was no one else in the store itself, and they weren't at a pump. I don't know why that bothered me so much. Maybe it was because I saw, or thought that I saw, a guy looking into my car. Maybe it did actually happen, but he sprinted around the building once he saw I was coming out. Whatever the case was, I didn't want to stay there and find out what actually happened. I continued my drive, not deterred from the weird car guy or the speeding car from earlier, I just snacked on my Doritos and sipped on my Coca-Cola, enjoying a few horror stories on the way. I look at the clock on my dash and notice it's already 10pm. It was already pretty late, so I decided to go ahead and go home, not wanting any further encounters with creepy car people. As I'm driving home, I notice some weird sounds from inside the car. I shut off the stories that I was listening to, but couldn't really hear anything. 
I started playing them again, and there it was. A little creaking of leather, like someone shifting in a seat. I turned it off and on again, and then I had the bright idea to look in the rearview mirror at an angle. And that's when I saw it. A large mass hunched over in the seat behind me. Whoever that guy was at the gas station, looking into my car, must have broken into my car and locked it while I was catching my breath. I couldn't pull over because he might have been waiting for that. I couldn't call 911 because he would definitely know and I'd be dead. The only thing I could do was text my boyfriend as quietly as I could and tell him to call the cops and have them be at the house when I arrived. I managed to get it done safely without the guy moving an inch. I always keep my phone brightness on lows on my drive so it doesn't distract me with personal BS. My heart was pounding. I had five minutes until I got home. The anxiety was building. Minutes passed and they felt like hours. The person in the back seat didn't move at all and then I finally saw it. My apartment building. But the cops weren't there. Either they were on their way, or worse, my boyfriend never got my text. I'd actually told him not to text back, out of fear of the ringers setting off the guy. So, I had no idea if he'd actually gotten it. I had to bite the bullet and hope that he had something planned, or that I could run quickly to my apartment before the guy could grab me. Just as I pulled in, my boyfriend comes around the back of the staircase, holding a baseball bat in one hand and phone in the other. Right after that, the cops pulled in, sirens blaring, with lights shining on the building. I take my seatbelt off and sprint out of the car towards my boyfriend, not before locking it again when I pulled out my keys and slammed the door. The cops got out, and I screamed at them that there was a man hiding in my back seat. They tried to open it, but I did hit the lock, so I had to unlock it with them with my key, and as soon as I did, the guy sprinted out of the car on the other side, not getting very far before getting tackled by one of the officers. I just sat there on the ground, crying in my boyfriend's arms, thanking him for saving me. I do still go on night drives from time to time, not as often or as late as that night, but now I stop at home and bring my boyfriend with me, just in case. This occurred at the last place that I lived about four years ago. I'd been renting a house from someone in the place itself, as well as the neighborhood, were great. Everyone got along or kept to themselves, so no one bothered one another and I enjoyed it. In fact, I was asked by my neighbor across the street to house it for him while he was away for a few days for family matters. Greg was a cool guy, never gave off any weird vibes, and also never complained when I had parties with friends and family in the past. We never got too crazy or loud, but I did apologize when someone parked in front of his place. He was kind and said that we could even use his driveway if we needed, as long as we told him in advance. 
He had a garage where he parked his car, and I rarely saw him leave, so it made sense. Anyways, he asked if I could make sure his cat, Lucy, had food and water, to water his yucca that he had in the kitchen and just do the normal checkups around the place while he was gone, and I agreed. He offered to pay me, but I declined. He lived across the street, so it wouldn't cost me anything to walk over there and be a helpful neighbor in return for the times that he's helped me. Before he left, he invited me over to walk through his place and gave me some basic instructions, as mentioned above. Even though I knew Greg, I'd only ever been in the doorway in the living room, so going in, I see his house looked pristine, and everything had its place. From the little knickknacks on a nearby table to the potted plant rotated to cause the plant to twist and curve perfectly into the start of an arch. It looked very homely and inviting. The first day went as normal. I got off work and went over to feed Lucy. She was also a very affectionate cat, so I spent a little extra time there petting her and playing with her before I left. That evening, maybe an hour or so after leaving, Greg texted me asking how things were and jokingly asked if Lucy was causing trouble. After responding with something simple, he mentioned that since she loved attention, I was welcome to spend as much time hanging out there with her as I wanted, and even reminded me where he kept her treats. It was kind of an awkward conversation, to be honest, as I was a full-grown adult. Maybe I was just being mean, but I didn't think I needed permission to pet a cat that I was watching. I thought maybe it just came through awkwardly in text, so I responded with something like, Okay, thank you, and let it be. The next day I went back over before I started dinner, and my boyfriend called while I was there. We talked on the phone as I continued my task of caring for the cat. I mentioned needing to take a shower after dinner so I could sleep in the next morning, and my boyfriend tried being flirty with my comment. Just trying to give an idea of what happened while I was there and what was spoken out loud. So, after I finished there, I went home and enjoyed the rest of my night. But, while I was making dinner, I got another text from Greg, again checking in. He followed it up with another weird statement, though. He said I was welcomed to use anything in his home, including his bathroom to take a shower if I needed to. Again, I thought that was weird because I lived across the street, not hours away. I had no reason to use his bathroom like that. I again just thanked him and left it at that. The third day, my boyfriend was staying the weekend at my place, so he came with me to take care of the house. We both played with Lucy while we sat in the living room chatting. Again, my boyfriend was getting a bit hands-on, but that was normal and all in good fun, but we did stop since we weren't in my place. After locking up and returning home, I was greeted by another message from Greg. This time, he said he appreciated my help, 
but that he didn't want any strangers in his house. I found the statement odd, as it wasn't like I was throwing a party at his place or something, so I just told him I understood and that it had only been me just to keep the peace. He seemed to question me about it, but then let it go. But that was what set alarm bells off for me. My boyfriend noticed the change in expressions, so I showed him the message. He immediately suspected that my neighbor might have a camera somewhere, which would explain why he saw a stranger, which was my boyfriend. I didn't understand why he wouldn't just say that when he texted me, but I just let it go. If all went well, I would only have to do this for a few more days anyways. The next day, I went over there in the morning alone, and as I watered the plant, I started thinking about the weird conversations I'd had with Greg, and how my boyfriend suspected there was a camera. My initial thought was that it was out front, but then I became suspicious about him possibly hearing or seeing me in the living room. So, I decided to test it. I rubbed my arm and mentioned to myself out loud that I needed to get more lotion. I finished there and went back home to my waiting boyfriend. Then my suspicion was confirmed, as I got a response from Greg directing me to where he keeps his lotions and creams if I needed some. I immediately became freaked out. Why would you have cameras and mics deep inside your home like that? I could understand at the door, I have a ring camera myself, but if you didn't trust the person enough, then why ask them to watch your house? I told my boyfriend what happened, and he agreed that it was weird, and he became pretty protective of me as well. Thankfully, I only had a day left, so I figured I would push through it, and decline to help in the future if I was going to be so heavily watched. My boyfriend, however, said he wanted to go with me regardless of what he said to make sure I was safe. It was sweet, but I told him while the cameras were weird, they weren't going to hurt me. But he was adamant. He said he felt like he needed to go even if he just sat outside while I went in, so I agreed with this plan. So, while he sat on the bench in the front, I went in to take care of things one last time. While refilling Lucy's water bowl, something caught my eye. There was a spoon in the sink. I hadn't used any of his utensils. I had no reason to, so why would it be there? I immediately became suspicious, and went out front to tell my boyfriend to come in. After explaining this to him, he immediately went in and started looking around the place. I watched from the living room as he opened the doors and looked in the rooms. First he checked the bathroom, then the first room on the right, and then he tried the second door. I watched him struggle with it, so I assumed it was locked until he started yelling. He demanded that they identify themselves, but the other person didn't respond. Then, my boyfriend slammed against the door, causing it to open. I ran over to him, and what I didn't expect to see was Greg on the other side of the door. His face was red, and I could see the veins bulging from his neck. I was terrified and confused, and even more so when his only comment was, 
I told you I didn't want anyone else here but you. I tried asking what he was doing at home or why he didn't tell me he was back early, and he couldn't answer. He just kept stammering and would just go back to blaming me for bringing my boyfriend. We both left and went home, discussing what the hell we had just witnessed. We came up with two different scenarios. Either he got home early and hadn't informed me yet, and maybe us being there scared him so he hid. The only door that I noticed that locked was the bathroom, so maybe that's why he was leaning against the door or preventing it from being opened. However, with the cameras and the weird comments, my boyfriend thinks that he's been home this whole time, and was just being a creep about it. He became really angry about it knowing that if that was the case, I'd been going there alone, and he was worried about what he could have tried. What if I did use his shower? What would have happened? I completely understood his concern, but it was overwhelming to think about. I didn't know if anything could be done, or at least to make a complaint or statement about what had happened, so I did go to the police station and ask. As expected, since neither of us were hurt, and we were in his house, there was nothing they could do, because he could choose to put cameras in his house if he had wanted. So, instead, I took it into my own hands. I basically told him to never talk to me again, and just blocked his number. And whenever I met with or talked to other neighbors... I made sure to tell them about my uncomfortable experience house-sitting for him. I would occasionally see him outside, but he rarely talked to the neighbors anymore. He had other male friends over on occasion, though. I moved in with my boyfriend a year later, but I still think about it on occasion. I'm just glad that I was never really in any embarrassing positions while I was over there, or used his bathrooms because I never did see where he hid those cameras. I'm a nurse at a palliative care unit in an old hospital. If you're a nurse at one of these units like me or know a nurse, please read until the end, as I could use your help. Throughout my years working at this hospital, I have seen a lot, especially being in a palliative care unit. You see a lot of things other people wish they wouldn't. For some of us, at some point, we have to just accept things as they are. The unit I work in has nine beds in nine different bedrooms, all spread along a long corridor. At the start of the corridor is the lift, and coming out of it, you would find the cleaning room on your right, where we keep all the cleaning equipment and products, and the nurse's room on your left, along with the entrance through the stairs. Because of the building and patient safety, and so we can access the other floors easily if in need, the administration forbade us from locking the stairs doors. This isn't ideal because some of our patients, in their delusions, can go across our room's door unnoticed and will be a danger to themselves. So, 
and we always keep the doors closed by tying a bed sheet around the door handles to keep them together. This is important so you know why what comes next started out so strange. The nurse's room is where we'll spend most of the night shifts, doing all kinds of activities, including resting and actually sleeping. Usually late at night, my routine would include checking on all of our patients, checking on all the doors and windows to make sure they are all locked properly, checking on the doors to the stairs, and then spend most of the night checking patient files. This night in particular, I had finished with my rounds and was checking on all the cameras, when my nursing auxiliary came into the nurse's room. She asked me if anything else was needed, or if she was okay to sleep for a while. I told her she was fine to go to sleep, so she took her shoes off, laid down with her back to the room and me, facing the wall, and went to sleep. I was reading a new patient's file who was coming into our unit soon to know what to expect, and how to behave around him, when I started hearing footsteps walking up and down the unit's corridor. At first I ignored them, thinking I was just tired and that my ears were playing tricks on me. It wouldn't be the first time. As they persisted, though, I started wondering what was going on. I took another look at the cameras, but each and every one of the bedrooms and corridor feeds seemed completely normal. The steps, though, kept coming all the way to the nurse's room, stopping about two steps away from showing at my door and then turning around and walking back all the way to the opposite end of the corridor. I waited to see if anything changed, but when it didn't, I stood up to go check. And that's when one of our patients, the one in room number seven, started calling us frantically. The auxiliary nurse was still asleep, so I walked carefully out of the room, peeked out of the room and looked around. There was nothing there and the footsteps had stopped, so I rushed to the patient's room. When I got there, he was shouting frantically, huddling against the bed's headboard with what seemed like renewed energy, shouting at me to tell the man in the top hat sitting on the chair in the room to go away and leave him be. Usually with patients like these in a state of distress, we just go along with their delusions to calm them down. If there are nurses watching, which I hope there are, you'll know what I mean. In this case, with him screaming in the room, I turned towards the chair and started talking to this imaginary man in a top hat, telling him he needed to go, that the visiting hours were done, and that he needed to leave right now, or that we would have to call security. After this, the patient calmed down, thanked me effusively for sending the man away, and laid back down to rest. I went back to the nurse's room and back to studying the new patient. As I walked back in, my heart stopped. All I felt was panic gripping my heart inside of me. As I stood there not knowing what to do and looking at the surveillance cameras, there was a big shadow standing right in the middle of the frame of the camera that was recording the end of the corridor, right in front of the bedroom that I had just been in. I took one step back and leaned backwards to check if I could see anything there, and there was nothing. 
I gave the camera another quick glance, and the shadow was still there. I'm standing terrifyingly still in front of this patient's bedroom door. This time, though, when I turned to look directly at the corridor again, this thing was there. For a moment, it felt like everything froze in place, and I just stood there, looking at it like a fool. And then slowly it turned towards me, a pair of strange and dark red eyes showing. It stood like that for a bit, screeched at me, and then flew into the patient's bedroom, slamming the door behind it. My auxiliary nurse jumped awake at the slam of the door and started frantically asking me what was going on. I was out of breath by now. I told her what I had just seen and what had just happened, and she couldn't believe me. I asked her to come with me to the patient's room, and she agreed, starting to become curious. We walked slowly through the corridor, passing every door carefully. I was afraid that anything would come flying at us. When we got to the bedroom that this thing had flown into, I pushed the door without going in, to check for any kind of danger, and immediately felt a breath of freezing air hit me in the face. The aircon was on in every room, but it was set to 23 degrees Celsius, so this was not normal. Nothing came flying at us like I was afraid would happen, but there, right by the patient's bed, there was the shadow. I could tell that it was a man, tall and strong with a top hat over his head. I asked my auxiliary nurse if she could see him, not expecting a no. However, that's what I got. She couldn't see anything standing there, and definitely not as clear as I could. Slowly, the shadow turned towards me again. This time it didn't scream. This time it just slowly dissipated. Immediately, I calmed down. Not only could I not see it anymore, I also couldn't feel it. This sense of calm came over me, and the patient seemed okay, so we left the room and went back to the nurse's room. My colleague went back to sleep, but I didn't rest until I checked the rest of the units to make sure everyone was safe. After that, I couldn't help but stare at the cameras every minute for the rest of the night. Eventually, our shift was over and that would become the shift with the most intense experience that I ever had. The next day, when nighttime came, and I did all of my rounds, I went inside room 7 to check on the patient. When I came closer to him, I realized he'd passed away. This was my first experience with the shadow man in the top hat, but it wasn't the last, and it's still ongoing. I'm the only one who can see him around the unit, which freaks everyone out. Every single time I see him, it's under the same circumstances. I walk into a patient's room and there's his shadow at the feet of their bed. I wait for a little while until he turns to me and dissipates. Around one or two days later, the patient passes away. This is a real story. And it's something that I have to live with almost every day now. I'm not sure if this thing is killing people or announcing their deaths, but if you are a nurse in a similar unit 
or know someone who is, please share this with them and comment what you know about it. I need to know what this is, how to deal with it, and if anyone else has experienced the same thing, even if it's a different looking entity. I can keep you updated on here if people are engaging and want to know more. Let me know if you want any updates, and I'll make sure to bring them. If you're dealing with something like this yourself, know that you're not the only one. Maybe this will help you feel less afraid. I have a story that's pretty intense, and honestly shakes me right to my core when I think about it. It was a Saturday night, around midnight. I had just finished hanging out with some friends and was driving home. I've never been one to drive on the highways, so I was taking the back roads through the neighborhoods to get home. I live in a pretty suburban, edging into rural part of the state, so... It was a mix of houses and small neighborhoods, intertwined with various patches of woods and trees. I have to drive a bit slower to get through the neighborhoods, because there are a lot of winding curves. But, in my opinion, it's the safer route, because it's typically pretty empty on the roads that time of night. Plus, it's just really peaceful. I was making my way through the winding paths, about two-thirds of the way home, when I see another set of headlights behind me. No big deal. Just another car driving on the roads. Nothing out of the ordinary. Or so I thought. It took me a while to notice, but this car was coming up on me fast. Too fast. Like, way too fast. They were approaching, but the lights were getting bigger and brighter at a pace that was, at least, two or three times what I was going. And I was going around 30 to 40. I slowed down a bit and pulled over to the side, watching as this car rockets past me and thinking to myself, that idiot is going to get himself killed. It was a reckless move that had bad news written all over it, and it made my stomach drop watching him go way too damn fast around those roads. As I continued on my way, a wave of dread washed over me. You know that gut feeling you get when something is off? Like that feeling you get when your boss calls you into their office and you think, I'm about to get fired? That feeling. I knew the path ahead, and it was not a straightaway. There were a number of twists in this section of my town, and it was mostly wooded out here, so I guess the word underdeveloped would be fitting. I drove cautiously, half expecting to see the inevitable result of that kind of reckless driving, just thinking that this was going to be a nightmare for everyone involved. Sure enough, less than five minutes after that initial encounter with that car, I rounded a small part of the road, and my headlights landed on exactly what I was terrified to see. There was that car, completely wrecked and slightly burning. I knew as soon as I saw it that it was the exact same car that had passed me. 
I slammed my brakes and hit my hazard lights, and then grabbed my phone and called 911. I stammered out that there had been an accident, told them the nearest crossroads, and told her that the car looked like it might be on fire. She told me to calm down, and explained that emergency services were on their way. But I knew deep down that time was ticking, and if the driver was still in that car and still alive, then they wouldn't be for very long. I told the dispatcher that I was going to check on the driver, and at first she was hesitant to say that I should. But I mentioned that if the driver was stuck or bleeding, then they may not have the time to wait, and she seemed to agree. I left the call going and put my phone in my pocket, and then grabbed the small emergency hammer from the glove compartment. It was the kind that has the window breaker with the seatbelt cutter, a tool that I never thought I was going to need, but at this moment was thankful to have. I ran over to the car and realized that the fire was definitely starting to catch on the ground, as well as the vehicle itself. The car was so badly damaged that it was nearly unrecognizable, but my gut was telling me that I needed to help this person, that if they were alive, then I needed to do something. I circled to the driver's side, shaking but determined. I was able to make out the silhouette of a man in the driver's seat, but he was out entirely. My heart sank at that moment, thinking that I was too late. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I started to talk to him in a loud but calm tone, asking if he could hear me. It took a few moments, but he did eventually open his eyes and slowly came to, asking what had happened. I was honestly shocked that this man was still alive. I asked him a couple of questions, mostly about if he could feel his legs, move his toes, things like that, and he told me he could. He was talking, able to move all of his body, so... I knew that I needed to move forward with helping him out. At this point, the fire was starting to spread out, which was making me feel nervous, thinking that whatever time we had was absolutely minimal. I told him that we needed to get him out of the car, and he obviously agreed. I handed him the hammer tool and told him to cut the seatbelt off. He grabbed it and sliced it in two spots, forcing it to break loose and his body to shift. I was able to get my arms under him and told him that I was going to pull him out through the window. He pushed with his legs, I pulled, and after a bit of a struggle, we were able to get him out onto the ground. I asked if he could stand, and he said he could, so I slowly helped him get to his feet, and was able to get him over to my car so he could sit on the ground and let it support him. I turned back when I knew he was safe and I watched as the car became mostly engulfed, and the tree that he'd hit went up around the same time. I'm pretty sure we were moments away from this guy's imminent death. Around that same time, I heard the wailing of sirens approaching, and a wave of relief washed over me. The emergency crews took over the scene, battling the flames and tending to the man. The paramedics got him up on a stretcher and got him to the ambulance. 
I had to give my statement to the police, still in a state of shock over the whole thing. My mind was on the man, thinking about whether or not he'd make it. He seemed mostly okay, but I had no idea how much of that was adrenaline. And I know that if he did have a head or neck injury, me getting him out of that car may have actually made it worse. Unfortunately, it was either that, or just sit by and watch this man get burned alive. The medics took him away. The officers asked me a few more questions. The firefighters got the blaze under control. And I just sort of stood there. I was trembling, and honestly I couldn't help but think about my own mortality in that moment. How fine of a line it is between being alive and, well, being trapped in a car that's upside down and burning. Yes, it was his decisions that ultimately put him in that position, and yes, it was stupid to think he'd be safe going that fast around curvy roads, but no. He did not deserve to die for that decision. We all make stupid mistakes, and they shouldn't all be a death sentence. Ultimately, all I can do is pray that people realize they are not invincible, that one wrong move can be what crosses that fine line. Keep your wits about you when you're on the road. Be cautious, be careful, and be attentive. And please... Use caution when you're operating your two-ton death machine. Frankly, I'm not sure if this is even the right place to post such a thing, especially due to the name of the subreddit, which in this case was r slash the truth is here, but this has been on my chest for quite a while now, so I'd appreciate it if you could hear out my vent and give your advice. Honestly, I've been struggling with the question of life and death since the time I was born. The funny thing is, though, I can remember the moment that I popped into existence better than I remember my life. It was like it was literally yesterday. My first ever memory, I believe, was the color gray or white. I think it was a bright flash of light, but I also think it was gray or something. It's sort of the color you get when you look at a petri dish under a microscope. The second was darkness. I was floating around what I would personally call space, but there weren't any astronomical objects. No lights, no stars, and I distinctly remember my first thoughts. Where am I? What is this? Is this what death is like? What language am I speaking? How am I thinking? What the hell is this? Before I could finish that last question, I tried breathing but couldn't, even though I didn't need to. So I started panicking as suddenly I started to feel like I was moving with increasing speed outside of my will. I began seeing lights that looked like stars from the night sky pass by me, as if I was moving way faster than the speed of light. After I don't even know how much time, but it felt like seconds or a minute passed, I suddenly just hit Earth. 
it was literally like hitting something in a car crash, or a roller coaster, except that I didn't feel anything. Everything just suddenly became dark. Not the same type of dark as when I popped into existence, but the same kind as the transition when you go to sleep. I remember having a series of weird dreams, and popping in during random moments of my life. One of the first dreams I experienced was me sitting on the toilet with all my family surrounding me, and some weird little creatures waiting outside the bathroom, who all looked at me with enthusiasm. I remember looking at my mother and wondering who the hell is that person, and suddenly I just knew that this is my mother. I remember that when I finished doing my business, I looked down the toilet and saw that the toilet was painted the color of my country's flag, to which, when I saw that, everyone erupted in cheers and joy, and then the dream cut off. I'll spare you the rest of the details since it was pretty much just random moments of my childhood, such as meeting people or random moments with my family. For example, I can recall seeing two childhood friends for what was, to me, the first time, but to them, and reality, had been many, many meetings. And I thought to myself, ah, these are my friends. That being said, however, I distinctly remember gaining total control of myself at around my third birthday. Whereas everyone was partying, I pretty much just woke up suddenly, and began wondering who the hell these people are on my birthday. I myself didn't even know it was my birthday until it was time for the cake. Ever since then, I've really been pretty much the oddball for everyone. I didn't really have many friends, and everyone seemed to inherently dislike me for whatever reason. It was mysterious to me, but after 25 years of life... I'd say that my life is pretty good, and I'm at the point where I've met the love of my life, and I would say that I'm the happiest I've ever been. However, now that I'm happy, I simply can't shake the reality of my own mortality, and it's a topic that has been keeping me up at night for about nearly a month now. That all being said, I would like to share two paranormal experiences that I've personally had, since this is a paranormal subreddit. The first one was about when I was still a kid, around four or five years old or more, back at my villa that my grandfather built. I could always hear this, what sounded like a stereotypical witch's laugh. I could hear it as if it was coming from behind the window of the room or from within the walls of the room that I was in. However, when I check it out, there would be nothing, nor would there be any traces of anything. I still frankly can't explain it, but we sold the villa, and I never bothered thinking about it until I began revising my life for any memories this month. The second encounter was fairly late, however. I would say around the age of 14 to 15, about a year after my grandfather died. It started at first with some weird activity. I felt like I was always watched, 
I heard noises from around the house. Once even, my door slammed open even though it was locked, and there was no physical way that it could have opened, unless someone unlocked it. I even saw as the handle went down, as if someone had literally hit the handle. Then whispers started as a faint noise, but they quickly grew into ear-ringing whispers. When I first heard it, I panicked, because it just wasn't normal. I went to wake up my parents, and the weirdest realization got me. I could outrun the whispers. It was as if the whispers came from a physical place, even though I couldn't see it, and even be able to pass through it. It was a tough night for me, as my parents thought I was crazy since they couldn't hear nor see anything, and I just shriveled near the wall and plugged my ears. Interesting fact, I could still hear those whispers as if I hadn't plugged my ears. They threatened to put me in the hospital if this happened again. The next one to two days, I couldn't stop thinking what it was, repeating in my mind every second of what happened, and I became more curious as to what it was than afraid. Sure enough, one to two days later at the same time at night, I began hearing the whispers. So, I just laid on my bed, turned my head towards the wall, closed my eyes and tried to listen. It was as if thousands of people all tried to whisper into my ears different things in unknown languages. And as I listened, it just suddenly stopped. And it never happened again. The third encounter was in a dream, only a week or two after the whispers. In my dream was my deceased grandfather, who I saw in what appeared to be a dark, dimly lit stage. When I saw him, I simply felt such remorse and sadness from how I missed him, and what I had done during my life, and how we never managed to say goodbye to each other, that I just dropped to his knees hugged him, and began profusely apologizing for everything while crying like there was no tomorrow. I've never had such a dream before, or again since. That's pretty much it for me. Let me know what you think about my life story rant, and let me know if you've got any ideas as to what this puzzle is. When I was 18, so back in 2005, my mom was giving me a ride to work. My car had been impounded for something stupid, and I had to wait 30 days to get it back. In the meantime, my mom was giving me rides to work. On Saturdays, I worked morning shift, so I had to be at work by 5am. That means that we had to leave the house no later than 430 it was still dark outside, like pitch black and very cold. That morning, as my mom was driving me to work, from a distance I could see a figure getting ready to cross the road, basically jaywalk in front of us. As we got closer, I could see that it was a young girl. I thought to myself, damn, caught her doing the walk of shame, huh? She had no shoes, 
a long white shirt like she was wearing a man's white tee. It was big on her. It looked like she had no pants on, but you could barely see that she had these short jean shorts under her large shirt. Like the kind that used to be pants, but she cut herself to make it into shorts. She wasn't wearing shoes. My mom started talking crap in Spanish. Like, what kind of girl walks around the streets at this hour dressed like that? She was now walking in the middle of the street, super slow, to the point that my mom had to stop like 10 feet away from her because she was now in the street blocking us. When my mom stopped the car, the girl came to a complete stop, but wasn't facing us. She was facing in the direction that she was crossing, crossing from my right to left. As now we were close, I could see that her skin was a real bluish gray, and her hair was black. It looked wet and tangled, like she had just gotten out of the shower. My mom was about to honk at her when she slowly turned her head to look right at us. Her hair was covering her face, and she looked like the girl from the ring. The part that I will never forget was that she moved her hair out of the way, and she had no face. Like, nothing. It was just all smooth, like Slenderman. No eyes, no mouth, no nose. It just looked smooth. My mom started to have a panic attack, and I literally felt my heart drop. I now was focused on calming my mom down. The girl looked at us for like two to three seconds, and then just took off running. It didn't move at irregular speeds, but now it was active. I'd never seen anything like that in my life, and to this day, my mom and I cannot explain what that was. I guess I'm sharing my story in hopes that maybe someone else has seen something similar. Something with no face. During the height of COVID in 2021, I had to take a plane somewhere for work. Beforehand, I had to self-isolate in a hotel for two weeks. During that two-week period, I was on Discord video chatting with my wife every day, and nothing really happened for the most part. One night, however, we were talking, watching stuff together just like normal. She went to go and take a shower, but just left the camera on. As I'm sitting there, chilling on my phone, not looking at the camera, but still had my headset on, I heard a little girl's voice coming through my headset. I forgot specifically what it said, but I do remember hearing giggling. So, I turned to the computer and thought, oh, she's just playing a prank on me, haha, very funny. But there was no reply. I then heard the voice sing the classic scary movie trope, the Daisy Daisy song, but towards the end of it, the little girl's voice became two voices overlapping with each other, like a man and a girl at the same time, and it became distorted. As this all is happening, I see that the green glow around the border popping up to show the audio is coming from my wife's microphone. I keep trying to say, haha, I know you're there, very funny, 
and the talking stops. I say, hello, trying to get her to reply, but then the little girl's voice replies back with, hello? At this point, I'm freaking out. I asked another question, but I forgot what it was, and it replied back. I remember it being a pretty simple question. After that, I remember the little girl saying, look behind you, and then laughing. Obviously, at this point, I'm peeing my pants. I did one of those scary movie reactions where I turn around super fast, but nothing was there. Now my wife comes back from the shower. I see her come out of the only hallway we have in our small apartment, so there's no way that she was at the computer. No way that she used a soundboard, which I don't even think she's even heard of what that is before. I didn't end up telling her what happened until I got back, otherwise she would have been scared out of her mind by herself. To this day, I get chills thinking about this. I tried searching online to see if people have had their discords hacked or something that make hackers talk through their mics, but I found nothing. If anyone has any input, please tell me, because I haven't found any explanation to this at all. I have a story that I wanted to share with you from back when I was a kid. This was in the early 2000s, back before I had a cell phone and landlines were still prevalent. I was about 13, with two younger siblings, and there were plenty of other kids on the same block. So, it was a normal occurrence to see kids playing outside, riding bikes in the streets, and the likes. One thing I liked to do was help out our neighbors with their pets, especially when they would go out of town. There was one house that was two houses down from us that belonged to Becky and Larry, and they had a blue healer named Sassy. I loved playing with that dog, and when I was bored, I would ask them if I could take her for a walk, and they would let me. She was incredibly well-behaved, never even barked at others, and was super affectionate. They had asked me if I'd be willing to house it for them while they went out of town for the weekend. It would just consist of me caring for Sassy and bringing in the mail. They also said I was welcome to walk her, and that I could help myself to the snacks and drinks they had, nor even watch the TV. I loved taking care of others' pets, partially because they usually paid me, and what preteen doesn't want their own money but I also felt really grown up when I could house-sit, as they would leave a copy of their key for me or tell me where they hid their spare. So, after school on Friday, I walked down to their house and let myself in to let Sassy out the back. That night was as normal as it gets. I sat in their home and played with the dog. I went home a few hours later, and everything was fine. It was Saturday evening that things got weird. I told my parents I was going to go down there once more to let the dog out, and decide to watch some TV to enjoy some time by myself. It was probably 7 or 8pm when I saw what I thought was someone walking past the big front window. They had thin curtains on the window, 
and I left the porch light on, so I just saw a dark figure go past the window. I quickly went back to watching TV, however, not thinking much of it. Maybe it was just a shift of light, or maybe a glare from my glasses. But then came a knock on the door. I was curious at first because if it was my family, I figured they would just try to open the door, but all they did was knock. Being young though, I just opened the door, still thinking that it may have been someone coming to get me. But I did not recognize the person at the door. It was a man, maybe in his 30s, wearing a workout jacket, with a collared shirt underneath it, and a scruffy but short beard. Not knowing what to say, I just looked at him, so he spoke first. Hey there, is Mr. Larry home? He said in a friendly tone while smiling at me. His demeanor and saying Larry's name lowered my guard a bit, thinking that he knew them but maybe didn't realize they were out. I was still aware of some common stranger danger type of things, and I knew better than to say that I was alone or how long someone would be gone, so I told him that they had just stepped out for the night and would be back shortly, and denied that I was alone. The man smiled again and said, Oh, I'm actually here to look at their cable box. They said they were having some problems with it. Now, I was a little suspicious at this point for a few reasons. First, I'd been watching TV all night with no issues. And second, they had a satellite dish on their roof. My family had cable at the time, and of course, that came with a big clunky cable box. And while I didn't quite understand all of that, I know that we didn't have a dish. So I don't think that they had cable. I told him that he should come back later when they were home because I didn't know where their box was, and he quickly responded with, Oh, no worries. I'm actually a friend of Larry's. I know where it is. Don't worry, it won't take me too long. He then winked at me as he pushed his way past me and into their house. I was mentally freaking out at this point. This did not feel right, and I didn't know what to do. I was alone, Sassy was still out back, not that I knew how protective she would be, since she was very friendly. He started looking around the living room and hallway like he didn't know where anything was. Not something I would expect from someone who claimed to be a friend. As my anxiety slowly rose more and more, he then asked without turning around to face me, So, why are you here if they're just out for the night? The way that he asked this was nagging at me, telling me that he obviously knew. He knew they weren't going to be back soon, and he knew I was alone. So, trying to think fast... As he looked over the TV in the cabinet with Becky's fancy dishes, I walked toward the back door replying, I like their big dog, and opened it, with Sassy running in. I'm guessing big dog got his attention, and he quickly turned around. Thankfully, Sassy reacted just as I hoped. She ran in, stopped in her tracks when she saw this guy, and started barking like crazy at him. 
The guy froze in place and asked me to put the dog back outside, but I too froze behind Sassy, just letting her take control of the situation. The guy slowly walked back towards the door, started stammering to say something, before he finally just left. When he was gone, I ran to lock the door as Sassy moved the curtains with her snout to look out and continued barking. I couldn't see him anymore, so I did my best to calm her down and led her back to the kitchen, enticing her with treats. She very quickly obliged. I called my house from their landline, letting my mom know what just happened. She told me to make sure the doors were locked and to stay on the kitchen floor so that I was out of view from the windows. She stayed on the phone with me, but I could hear her talking to my dad and then even heard the door open and close from the phone. When I heard my dad knocking on the door, I stood up and my mom told me that I could hang up now. I let him in and explained everything, and he told me to stay in the living room with the door locked while he looked around. He came back in, called my mom, and then the cops showed up shortly after. With everything going on, I was pretty scared, and upset, thinking this was all my fault and that I was going to be in trouble for letting this random guy into our neighbor's house. After the cops were gone, we locked up the place and went back home. Both my parents had the opposite reaction than what I expected, however. Not that they were really mean or punishing anyways, but I at least expected a talking to about strangers. However, they both hugged me, and said that I was very brave and smart to let Sassy in the way that I did, and then call them. They understood, and didn't doubt me when I explained that he practically pushed his way inside, and that I didn't let him in. They also explained to me the next day, probably to make sure I slept that night, why I handled that very well. When my dad came to get me, my mom called Becky and asked her about the guy. They confirmed that, one, they did not have cable, so they did not call for maintenance, and assured that they wouldn't do that when they knew there wouldn't be anybody home, and two, they didn't recognize anyone by the description that I gave. Mom then called the police at that point, and we talked to them from there. The cops did a few circles around our neighborhood, and even checked out their backyard and shed, but unfortunately the guy was nowhere to be found, and they never did. Becky and Larry were returning that Sunday, so my parents told them they would keep an eye on the place, and I wasn't allowed back over there by myself again, just in case he came back. But thankfully he never did. At that age, I was conflicted. Somewhere between being upset that I couldn't go by myself, but I also shuddered at the idea of him coming back. They returned, and we never heard about him or saw him again, but I still wonder what his true intentions were. Was it really just to case the place out to rob it? Or was there something more, since I just happened to be there? I usually don't like driving at night. It gives me the creeps. 
you can't see anything, and it's when all the weirdos and crackheads like to come out to play. This time around, though, I really didn't have much of a choice. I was driving home during a road trip alone. Normally, I would stop somewhere for the night and sleep in the back of the RV, but I was only a state away, and only a few hours from home, so I decided to stay awake and keep trucking till I got there. I stopped at a few gas stations, grabbed some snacks and food. I didn't really like stopping at fast food places too much on road trips, since it's a lot of sitting around and driving. I didn't want to gain a ton of weight, but I was pretty hungry, and the journey was almost over anyways, so I decided to stop at the next fast food place that I saw, which was a McDonald's, and just grab some chicken nuggets. Now, this was around 2 a.m., so basically there was only a car or two in the drive-thru, and almost nobody inside. I pulled up into the first open spot and got out. When I opened the door to the McDonald's, that familiar smell of salt and oil hit me like a ton of bricks, and I realized that I hadn't eaten anything substantial for almost the entire day. So... I got a large meal instead of just the nuggets. Too hungry to wait until I got to my car and eat, I sat down at one of the booths and started digging into my food. A few minutes go by, and I'm munching on my french fries, and I notice a broad, burly man walk in. Flannel, big beard, friendly enough face. He actually tipped his hat to me as he walked by the counter. He ordered and grabbed his food and sat at the table across the restaurant from me. I finished my stuff and went to the bathroom to take a leak before heading back on my journey home. As I'm leaving, I made a mental note that the guy wasn't at the table. The food was also cleared, so he probably just scarfed it down so he could get back on the road like me. But when I got outside... I saw the man on the side of the main road with his thumb out. Not a car in sight. I don't know why I did it. Maybe it was just how tired I was, or how kind his face looked. But I yelled over to him asking if he needed a ride. His face lit up, and he trotted over and started shaking my hand, thanking me profusely. He got into the RV, and I asked where it was he needed to go. He said a place called Lakeside Farms, which was actually a small community of houses not far from my own. I told him that that was only a 10-minute drive from where my community was, and that I was willing to take him all the way home, which, from where we were, was at least three hours on foot. Again, his face was kind and grateful, so we buckled in and we left. We talked for quite a bit about what we both did for work, where we were coming from, movies, comics. He had interest in a lot of the nerdy stuff like myself, which you wouldn't glean at all from his lumberjack style of clothing. About halfway through the drive, I finally felt comfortable enough to ask how we ended up three hours away from home without a car. Well, I was with another guy, but... He ditched me on the side of the road because of a stupid argument we got into. That was back about 20 miles the other way. Been walking ever since. 
The McDonald's was the first thing I'd seen in hours, the man said. And then I asked, Not a single car stopped for you the entire time? Son, you are the first kind face I've seen since before that argument. I was shocked. Well, I'm glad I can help. At the time, I was thinking of how well it was going, how I should do things like this more often, how it felt kind of good to help someone out that was in need. I'd seen multiple hitchhikers on the side of the road in the many road trips that I've been on, but never once has I stopped, because it was pitch black outside. But something about this man just made me feel like he couldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> oh, how wrong I was. We were about ten minutes out from where his community was. I told him I would take him right up to his house if he wanted, but he said no. That it would be weird if I knew where he lived. Thinking on it, I honestly would have thought the same thing if I was him. So, I obliged and I dropped him off at the front of his community. Again, he was shaking my hand profusely and thanking me for my gratitude. I felt good, and tired as hell, so I turned around and hoofed it back home. A few days later, I'm in the living room watching TV, flipping through the channels when I see it. The man that I drove home. His mugshot was plastered on every single news channel in the local area. No matter which one I flipped to, there he was. Headline story. It was said on April 22nd, which was just a week ago, he and his roommates were on a road trip out west, and they got into an argument. The friend ditched the man, leaving him stranded at a gas station in rural Kentucky. The man made it home on the night of April 25th, which was the night that I picked him up and then proceeded to slaughter his two roommates, injuring the third, who barely escaped with his life and ran straight to the police. The man was actually still at large. The police chief on the news was asking for anyone who had seen the man since the attack or had any info on his whereabouts to call them immediately. The one thing that consistently hits in my head is when I think about the whole ride home with the man, it was that I couldn't think that he had a violent bone in his body. That's why he didn't attack me. He was kind and as grateful as he appeared. But something in him must have snapped after I let him out. Maybe he talked himself into it, got angry on the walk home. Maybe they argued again, and he just cracked. Whatever the case... I'm glad I didn't get on that guy's bad side, but on the other hand, if I hadn't offered him a ride, maybe those people would still be alive. Years ago, around a decade back, my friend and I were part of the same Marine Corps Reserve Unit. The distance to our unit from my place was a good two and a half hours. One particular day, we were required to report early. To save time, we decided that I would stay at his place, situated halfway between my home and the drill center. After a night of barracks cuts and a couple of beers, my friend, looking a bit trouble, 
confided in me about an unusual problem with the house he was renting. He believed it was haunted by a ghost. I, being a skeptic, couldn't help but tease him. But his response was not what I expected. He looked me straight into my eyes and uttered, It's a damn cat. He recounted incidents where he would wake up to see the cat lounging outside his bedroom. Each time he would leap out of bed to catch it, by the time he would reach the doorway, just five to seven feet away, it would vanish. I laughed it off, attributing it to his imagination, and decided to crash on the living room couch. The stillness of the night was interrupted when I felt something brushing against my hand, which was dangling off the couch. As I peered down, I was met with the sight of a cat affectionately rubbing its head against my hand. Panic set in as I realized I was paralyzed, the dreaded sleep paralysis. While my body was immobile, my willpower drove me to make tiny movements. In a desperate attempt to prove its existence, I managed to grip the cat's face with my index finger, trying to nick my finger on its sharp tooth. Suddenly, the cat wrenched free and darted straight through the living room wall. The moment its tail disappeared, the paralysis lifted. Frantically, I inspected my finger. While there was no visible injury, I could faintly feel where the tooth had pressed against it, and there seemed to be a slight discoloration. The next day, still bewildered, I narrated the previous night's events to my friend. I may never know the truth of that night, but part of me is convinced that I held onto a ghostly feline, even if just for a fleeting moment. The most uncanny thing? It behaved just like an ordinary cat. To this day, this memory remains etched in my mind. This blend of reality and the supernatural uh, challenged my beliefs and perceptions. I've always had problems falling asleep and resting before bedtime. My pops would take me out with him in the car, and by the time we got back home, I would be asleep. I'm not sure whether it's the sound of the car or just listening to the music in the dark that does it. I'm now in my mid-40s, and I still do this whenever I want to clear my head. Obviously, I don't fall asleep while driving. There's a long, twisted road that I usually travel on when I visit my family's farm in the countryside. It's usually six hours by car. Normally, my wife and I will take turns driving, or I will regularly take rests. We were running late, and so I was powered by really strong coffee, and it was obviously nighttime. I drove slower than I would have liked. If I wasn't there with my wife and kid... I would have gone as fast as I could. It was getting later, and I glanced over at my wife, only to see that she was completely asleep. I could hear her faintly snoring, and both the kids looked like they were also asleep in the back seat. It was nice to have some quiet. My phone was playing music. I can't remember what the song was, but then the Bluetooth started seeming like it was acting up. I tapped on the dashboard and complained that it was messing up. Then, 
it stopped working completely. I thought that we must have just lost reception, but it had never happened on this road before. Also, losing reception wouldn't necessarily affect the Bluetooth. I looked over to the side of the road and slowed down when I saw another car. It was an older model, almost like the old rusted ones outside the barns at my family farm. We kept them as farm decorations, but this one? It looked new. I nodded, lifted my hand to wave as I'd been taught, and I noticed there were people sitting inside. They looked shocked and were pointing at my car. They also looked like they were ready to go to a 1950s convention. What the hell? I kept driving and noticed that the houses and farms along the side looked different. The thing that nearly caused me to crash was at the old Wilson's place. It had been burnt down in the 1960s or 70s. The ruin was something that we would play in as kids, hang out in and as teenagers, and get chased away. All the personal belongings were left behind and none of the locals would steal or vandalize a neighbor's property. Most of the family died in the fire, and the remaining family couldn't handle being near it, so it just sat abandoned. But it was there. I reached over and tapped my wife's arm, and then a little harder, but she wasn't waking up. I kept driving when I randomly saw a police light behind me, and it wasn't quite safe to pull over just yet. This couldn't be real, I thought to myself. I had to wait until the turn so that I could pull to the side of the road. Then, after a few seconds, my phone turned back on and the music started playing. I looked in my side view mirror to see the police car had completely disappeared, and the world seemingly went back to normal. I didn't say anything. I drove to my parents' place, and instantly I was chided for not finding somewhere to stop. I was pale and quieter than usual. They asked me if something happened. I told them I was just sleepy, though. My wife would not let up, and while we were in bed together, she asked me what happened. I told her the full story. I didn't leave any details out, but I didn't need to explain about the burnt farmhouse. She'd heard the story plenty of times from my parents. She asked if it was because I was exhausted from the drive, and I was, but she then made a suggestion that I would never have thought of. She told me that there are things called glitches. Sometimes reality doesn't quite work. Either we briefly traveled back in time, or I was somehow part of some kind of memory. Or... I was so sleep-deprived that I went to the 1950s, and a cop was trying to pull me over. Raven, I've listened to your channel, and I've been described for two years now, and I would like to know if any of your listeners can tell me what they think happened. It's never happened to me since, and I've driven along that road at least 20 times since that incident, with no issue. From what I know... No one else who has driven on that road has experienced what I did. And, unfortunately, due to some privacy reasons, I can't give the name of the road without potentially telling people where my family lives. I do still enjoy going for those late-night drives, though, but 
they really don't relax me like they used to. I'm new to Reddit, but I figured I would share some of my experience to see if anyone has had anything similar happen to them. I'm a 35-year-old male and currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'll try to make this brief and go over a few of my experiences. The first time I can remember anything like this happening to me, I was probably around 15. My family was in the process of moving into a new apartment. Not much was left in our old place besides the essentials, my bed and television. I had decided to stay the night by myself so that I could watch the basketball game. Everything that night seemed the same as it always had. I remember watching the game and opening one of those family-sized Doritos bags. I set the bag down after I ate a few chips, and a few moments later, the bag flew halfway across my room. I picked the bag up and went back to watching the game. I didn't think much of it that night. Maybe I didn't want to think about it at all. At our new apartment, the only thing strange that I remember seeing would be out of the corner of my eye. My dad had a big bright fish tank. I would routinely see the light being completely blocked by something walking in front of it. It would happen while I was in the kitchen doing dishes, and also while I was in my bedroom playing Xbox. One other thing happened to me that I can't explain. I got really lightheaded one time, and my dad laid me down on the couch in the living room. All I could see was white, and I heard, We are all around you. It scared the living crap out of me, and I just remember thinking that I'm too young to die. Fast forward about six years. I had just met my future wife, and after a few months of dating, I had decided to move in with her. We were laying in bed one afternoon, just hanging out. I heard a deep male voice directly in my ear telling me to get out. I looked at her trying to process what I had just experienced. Did you just hear that? I asked. I heard something, but it wasn't loud enough to make out, she told me. We were less than a foot apart, and it was as if someone was yelling directly into my ear, but she couldn't hear what it had said. A few months later, she was driving me to work around 2am. What she told me sent chills down my spine. She said that she had woken up earlier in the night, and something was talking to her. She couldn't understand what it was saying. It was a language that she wasn't familiar with. The thought of something that I couldn't see that close to where I was sleeping was very unsettling. About a year later, we had moved into a new home. I awoke one night to a shadow figure standing above me. I reached out to grab what I perceived to be an intruder, and it took a step back and disappeared. I didn't go back to sleep that night. On another occasion, I was alone in the house on my tablet one evening. I was laying in bed with my bedroom door open, and I heard footsteps in the hall coming towards my bedroom. There were two problems with that. 
The first being that I didn't believe anyone else was in the house, and the second was that I should have heard the footsteps long before I did. They started halfway down my hallway. I watched the door, and a few moments later, a tall shadow figure passed by. I got up again thinking there was someone in my house that shouldn't be. Both rooms outside of my room had their door closed, and there was nowhere else to go. I opened the bathroom door, and it was empty. I opened the door to the spare bedroom, and it was empty. Six years later, and I find myself in a new house with a new experience. It was late one night, probably around 11pm. My wife was asleep in our bedroom, and I was sitting on a bed in our spare bedroom with the door open. From where I was sitting, I could see down our hallway. It was dark, but not pitch black. As I sat there scrolling on my phone, something out of the corner of my eye caught my attention. I looked into the hallway, and it was empty. I went back to whatever I was doing on my phone, and a few moments later I found myself seeing the same thing. I look and nothing's there. So, now I'm back to my phone, but this time I'm trying to focus out of the corner of my eye and figure out what's going on. I then see something crawling in my hallway. It's about 10 feet from where I'm sitting. I look and nothing. I go back to my phone, still trying to view it from my peripheral, and now I see it stand up. It's a woman wearing a white dress. It's walking in a circle, and I'm trying to process what's happening. It sprints at my door, and just as it gets there, I hit the bedroom light, and it is gone. Now, I'm sitting there wondering if I just imagined it. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up, and my heart is beating out of my chest. Hey there, friends. I hope that you enjoyed this collection of scary stories on this episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. If you did, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform that you're utilizing. And if the platform you are on has a rate the podcast option, please consider doing so. Those ratings push the podcast into the algorithm, and we all know how the algorithm controls everything, so... Yeah. I also do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash asthereavendreams, you can support the channel further. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to all of my content in audio format. The content's a little different, as it's based on what I upload to my YouTube side, but it's the same stories. Just in different collections of stories than how they're presented here. Speaking of stories, if you have one you would like to submit to me, please... Go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button in the middle of the screen that says Submit Your Story. These stories are mostly sourced by listeners, so let's keep the podcast alive. If you've got one, I'd love to read it. Anyways, friends, I hope you're all having a beautiful day and a lovely week. And I hope I see you again very soon. But until then, remember you're loved, you're valid, you're important. 
You're the best you, you can be. Never forget it. And until next time, much love and sleep well.